Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is 1 Samuel 26, verses 7 through 12. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand out, my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Thank you. Thank you, Gretchen, for reading today. Can I ask you to think about a few questions, serious questions? We don't always take time to uh, ask some of these, but occasionally circumstances push us where we have to think about them, have to reflect on them. We have to kind of discern what would our answers be to them. What do you think about the presence of God? Is God, would you say that God is close to you? Is he close by? Is he near you? Is, is he present in your life? Does he see you? Does he really know everything that, everything that you're experiencing? Everything that you're feeling? Does he know your questions? Does he really know all of them? Do you believe that he draws near to you? Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder about that? If, he, if he's close to you, and when and if you wonder, would God ever abandon you because you did not have enough faith in him to just believe it? Does God look out for you? Does God guard you? Are, are you sure that he does? Are you confident that he's guarding your life? What if you choose to go on a path that isn't exactly what he wants, that isn't the best thing that he's designed for your life? What if your heart grows cold toward him? Does God care about that? Does God care about you in that moment? What if you grow tired? What if your prayers become fewer and fewer? What if you play, play the part? You attend church, you go through the motions, but you are actually wandering from God Monday to Saturday. Does God care about that? Will he continue to direct your path? Would, or would he write you off as a person that just cannot be trusted? Does God spend his valuable time primarily, primarily with those who are spiritually serious? Does he only protect the ones who can keep their nose clean? The one who really, really have their hearts sold out to him? 
I know it's a lot to think about. It's a whole lot. And I don't know all of what was going through David's mind. But based on what David wrote, I believe that he asked some of these kinds of questions and wrestled through them. We've spent several weeks now in the life of David. And where we are now is just a terribly brutal season of David's life. So we're told, if, if biblical historians are accurate, we're told that David's entire 20s were spent living the life of a fugitive. Imagine that whole decade of your life being spent as the target of assassins, as the government's most wanted. And what had to be painful is that the whole decade, he also could look back to a time when he had heard from God, you are going to be the next king. He was appointed and anointed the next king. And so he surely had to ask the questions like, how does this fit into all that he's experiencing as a fugitive, as a runaway, just trying to survive? I, I wonder if David, I wonder how many of David's days does he ask those sorts of questions? I really do want to dive into the text that we have, and I want us to think about what, is it, what does it mean for us. I, I do want to apply it to our lives, but sometimes in Scripture we rush so quickly to go, what's in it for me? that we don't take time to ask, like, what is going on with David? What's going on in the story? I think it's so critical to think about David to live in his world. And the passage that Gretchen read just a moment ago is one in a long time, a long line of David being pursued by King Saul. He's being chased, he's being hunted. And you heard what she read. Actually, in that story, David found Saul, even though Saul was the one chasing David. David found Saul, and the remainder of the chapter, David reminds Saul, and he reminds his bodyguard, Abner, I could have taken you out. I could have ended this this chase of yours. It could have been over. At the end of 1 Samuel 26, David escapes But all of this running had to wear on him. David lived with some constraints that made his life hard. I mean, he could have made different choices, but he lived within at least two constraints. One of those constraints was the constraint that Saul wanted him dead, and that didn't seem like it was going to change anytime soon. Saul is leveraging every resource to take his life. And he's the king. What resource does he not have? So that's one constraint. On the other constraint, David didn't believe in good conscience. He, he did not believe that he could take Saul's life, that he could fight back against the one who was chasing him. So all he could really do was run. In that whole ordeal, and we've been walking through it, David is exhausted, David is weary, and he takes some drastic action in 1 Samuel 27. So I hope you have your Bibles open or at least screen on 1 Samuel 27 verse 1. It says, Then David said in his heart, I mean, he's escaping, but he says, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose, and he went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And it was told, when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, 
if I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? David is weary. David is in like survival mode. David feels like he could never be safe as long as Saul was chasing him down. So he goes to the rival nation. In essence, he's defecting from Israel because the only place he knows that he could possibly be safe is in Gath of Philistia. He endears himself somehow to the king, King Achish. He, he makes one request. He says, I, I do want to ask one thing, Akish. If you could give me a town. It doesn't have to be near the capital of Gath. If it could just be away from there. If you could give me a town where I could like be, put, put my family and my people and their families. And so the town that Akish gives them is away from Gath. It's called Ziklag. You see it in verse 6 of that chapter. David is kind of out of the sight of Akish. And what he does while he's out of the sight of Akish as he begins to go to like neighboring towns and villages and he raids those towns and villages. He loots them, he pillages them, he takes everything from them. But he's deceptive about it. He, he doesn't tell Achish what he's doing. He, he basically leaves Achish with the impression, I'm going after those Israelites, they're our enemy now. But that's not what he's doing. He deceives Achish into thinking he's really defected all the while. Villages and cities are being attacked by David and his men. What I found as I read the book of 1 Samuel is these stories particularly don't highlight David's finest moments. If all you've ever known is David and Goliath, that's a fine story. This is not his finest moment. David survives. As much as I love him, there's no spin that I can place on this story. David is surviving by misinformation and by deception. David is surviving by attacking cities, taking their stuff, and then lying about what he's been doing. There's no way to paint this differently. And what I notice, and I know it's an argument from silence, but as I read these passages, David doesn't pray in these stories. As a matter of fact, the Lord's name just rarely comes up. In other passages, David will find a priest or a prophet and, and he will pray to God or he will offer God a sacrifice or he will get some guidance from God. But you don't find any of this in these chapters. David is in survival mode. He is running. No prophet is giving him words from God. God's name doesn't really come up. But in the midst of this church, I want us to see something. And that is that even in our wandering, even in our wandering, even in David's wandering, God is present and protecting. God is preserving David. We can say, somehow David lives. Somehow David lives to see another day. Even as he wanders. This is God's grace to him. Even as he is wandering, God is protecting. And God is present. Even when David doesn't call out to him, I think it's worth us pausing for a few moments and, and to go out of 1000 BC and come to 2019 where we are today and maybe think about your own life, think about the last five years, the last 10 years of your life. And as you think about seasons of your life, my guess, I would think it's probably 100% of us, have some point in our life that are almost a blur because of how difficult that season was. 
as we look back, life for a while got unusually complicated. So much so that you couldn't even really see clearly. Decisions weren't easy to make. Maybe even as you look at that season, you look back to decisions that you made that you now regret. As you think back to that season, you have questions like, God, what are you doing? God, could you ever use this? God, could you, could you work in this? Are, are you even present? I would imagine for any of us who have lived any amount of time, there are seasons where we go, I don't know in that season if I felt as close to the Lord. Maybe something took a toll on your faith. Maybe you were hurt very, very deeply and you didn't know exactly what to do with the pain. And so you withdrew. You withdrew from friends. You withdrew from people here. You withdrew really from the Lord. And you knew, you knew in the moment, that isn't the answer. That isn't the place to go. But it it was hard to even think. It was hard to process. Maybe in that season, you made some lifestyle choices as you wandered that you made them before the Lord. And and those, that lifestyle was different than what God made you to be. God had a, an amazing plan for your life, but you went down this path and maybe an addiction was attached to that. And it began to grip you in ways you never set out to happen. Maybe in the midst of a season, your marriage felt the, the push and the pull of all this. Maybe in that season of wandering and wilderness, you broke your marriage vows. Or maybe you didn't break them, but you went year after year, day after day, week after week of not working hard to make your marriage work. Even things there grew cold and and, and different. The fact is, maybe you are still wandering here today. Maybe I'm not describing anything in the past. Maybe things are still very unsettled with you and with God. Maybe it's an uncomfortable conversation to even think about, to even have but you know you need to deal with it. Maybe lots of people could see the signs of your wandering. Maybe they see them now. Maybe no one sees it. But deep down, you know. You know, you know it's not the same. You could make excuses. But what good would that do? You feel like it's different and you wonder if God's present and you wonder if he cares and you wonder what comes next in your relationship with him. Our church is committed like, to starting with people where they are. And one thing I have learned from the story of David is that most often days of wandering are going to be part of our story. I think it's just a fact. Days of wandering are going to be part of our story. Don't hear me wrong. That doesn't give us a license to do things our own way, go our own path. There aren't excuses here. And and I say that because we don't have a license. As a matter of fact, many of these things actually catch up with David. This season of wandering actually does catch up with him. He will experience betrayal and pain and consequences of his own sin. He will make decisions that will come back and hurt him and haunt him. That's reality. I'm not a good pastor if I don't constantly encourage you. 
Like, stay on the path. I know the Lord said it is straight and it's narrow. I'm not a good... I'm not a good pastor to you if I don't say, be careful. Don't look to the left. Don't look over here. This is the path, as Isaiah says, walk in this way. Be so careful. Guard your heart. All those things are important. But I'm also not a good pastor if I don't communicate to you very clearly that God is a God of grace. And he meets you even in your wandering. Because some of you think, because I did this God is through with me. God's plan is done for me. And that is just not the case. That is not the case. God is present and protecting even even when we are wandering. God is present even when his name is not coming up in your life that often. God is protecting even when the story is more about your scheming. I love the picture that Jesus gives. It's the picture of of the prodigal son who wanders and who really doesn't have the father on his mind that much. But the picture of the father is one that is eagerly awaiting the son's return. God is present. God is protecting us. Even in our wandering, God doesn't leave David. That's why I think David could write something like this in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? Am I going to go up to heaven? You're there. I go to the deepest part of the earth. You're there. I mean, you know me from the inside out. You formed me when I was in the womb. You know me. For David, that's not so much a license, so I can just do whatever I want because, you know, God's with me all the time. Actually, what David says with that knowledge that God is always present, God is always protecting, what David says is, search me and know me. Try my heart. See if there's, discern if there's any wicked way in me. We need to hear this. We need to know again and again. We need to see again and again and again that even this morning you might be wandering. That God is present. God is protecting. There's more to this story of how God is present and protecting. And we're, we're covering a lot today. But I actually want you to see kind of over, over months of David's life how God is present and how God is protecting If you keep tracking with the the life of David, a conflict comes between the Israelites and the Philistines. This is how, like, the book of 1 Samuel ends. It kind of escalates toward this conflict. So we have these rival, rival nations. And remember, David is not with the Israelites right now. He's actually with the Philistines. And David is drafted into the service of the Philistines. Achish, the king of of Philistia, says, I want you to leave Ziklag. I need you to come because we've got to fight. We've got to fight against Israel. Stories told in chapter 28 and 29. And yet when David comes with his men ready to, to enter this fight against his own people, something happens, something that I think is only directed by the Lord, although it makes complete sense. The generals of the Philistines look at David Say, what's he doing here? King Achish says, let's all go to battle. David, you come along. You'd be a great help. You're a warrior. The generals go, he's playing you. He's going to get out on battle. He's going to turn. He's going to, this, this can't, what are you thinking? Send him home. Send all his men home. We don't need him. He's the last person we need. Do you remember, King Achish, do you remember the song that the Israelites sang? Saul has slain his thousands, and we're getting ready to face Saul. But remember they sang, David has slain his tens of thousands. 
Need I remind you who those tens of thousands were? They were Philistines. That's where the song came from. And we're going to bring him? Tell him to go home. What seems clear is behind the scenes, God is moving David out of this battle. David's not going to fight against Israel. David's not going to face Jonathan, on his best friend on the battlefield. That's not going to happen. You kind of breathe a sigh of relief when you come to, to the end of 1 Samuel 29 and come into 1 Samuel 30 because you think, okay, God has watched out for David. He didn't have to go into battle. His wanderings, all his like, questionable decisions, he's going to make it out okay. But if you have 1 Samuel 30, I want you to see like, what comes next because these are just like bad times that go to worse times that go to even worse times. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1. Now when David and his men came back to Ziklag, on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against that city. They had overcome it and burned it with fire. So David's been told, thank you, but we don't need your help. Comes back to his city in verse 2. Someone is taken captive, the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. They carried them off to go into slavery. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. You hear the sobs of all these men that now have lost everything. David's two wives had also been taken, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. When you read this story for the first time, it kind of catches you off guard. God was watching over David, but what has happened now? It's taken this brutal turn for the worse. And the question we're left with is, does God protect? And does God, is he really present with David in this heartbreak when David cries until he cannot cry anymore? Or has God moved on? Is that the way God does with people? Will God give up on David? Will God give up on you? Would he move, to, move on to someone who's more faithful, more trusting, less scheming, less deceptive? Does God still care about David? And if it were you, would he still care about you? David's at a very low place. He, let's think about it. He can't go to Israel because he's being hunted there. Now he's not wanted by the Philistine generals. So he went back home, but when he got back home, everything was taken. There's no Abigail to give him wise counsel. He's full of the pressure of caring for others that now all that pressure has come down hard on him. Yes, the people who he has led been providing for now are saying, let's stone him. Let's take him out. David is all alone All that he has, all that he has is the Lord. There isn't even Jonathan to strengthen him in the Lord in this story. But in that moment, David is reminded that God is with him. You see verse 6 of this chapter, it says David was greatly distressed. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David's not been praying too many prayers in recent chapters. 
that God was protecting and God was present along the way. So David says to Abithar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. It's kind of this means of determining the will of God. So Abithar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? God answered him. Pursue, you shall surely overtake him. You will rescue. David set out, 600 men who were with him. And they came to the brook Besor where those who were left behind stayed. David pursued he and 400, but 200 stayed. They were just too exhausted to go any further. Do we hear in this? David's entire life is getting recalibrated. He finds his strength in God, not in his scheming. He looks to God for his next decision. He goes in the strength of God's words to him and God's presence close by him. He leads God's people in a rescue and recovery operation. The rest of the story you find David leading and God directing. And David and his men there are providentially in, in the story. You can read it for yourself. David has led to an Egyptian who actually was part of the raid but became so sick he couldn't stay with the group that was exiting. And David happens to find him. And this Egyptian says, I know exactly where they are. I know exactly who it is. And he takes David and his men to where the Amalekites are. There's a party going on there until David strikes and David is ruthless. But verse 18 of 1 Samuel 30 says, David recovered everything. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. David brought all of it back. And the ones who had spoken of stoning him now are saying, all this is, let's call this David's spoil. Let's say David has won. The winds have blown now in a very different direction. And as the chapter finishes out, David is looking out for even the vulnerable, the the 200 that couldn't quite have, they didn't have the strength to go on. David is now looking out for the weary when others are going, forget them. They, They weren't part of this battle. David says, no, God has done a work here. God has done a work here. David deals with the enemies of the Lord. He provides for the people of Israel. He shares his victory with the people of Judah. And in the midst of this heartbreak, David turns back to the Lord. But then again, God had been present. and God had been protecting him along the way, even in this heartbreak. When I think of kind of where 1 Samuel is going, it's actually the last chapters where David is a fugitive on the run. When you open 2 Samuel, he's king. These stories are God preparing David to be king. And if you were to ask me like, Curtis, do you want to be successful over the next five, ten years? I would say absolutely. Well, Curtis, what would be helpful to you in your success? I think I would say, well, I need strong family and friendships. Those relationships need to be rock solid because I can draw a lot of strength from them. And I would like, like opportunities for the next step bigger things to accomplish. And I want to wake up like you want to wake up every day and feel fulfilled and feel like my life means something. This matters. I'm not just going through motions playing a game here. And yet how different are the ways of God? God doesn't like take my list and say, I'm going to give you all this. Instead, what God does for David is give him weariness and weakness and wilderness. 
God works through David even in his wandering. The times are difficult. He's, he's targeted. He makes sketchy decisions that are unwise or downright sinful. He endures unbearable grief. God's ways are not our ways. But God always redeems the wandering. God always can redeem the wandering. When I read the story of David, like rescuing, I think he is going to be a great king. I'm just reminded how incomplete David's story is. It, he's a great king, but he's a flawed king. He, he's weary and he's isolated. The stories remind me in many ways to another king who was isolated and weary, whose friends turned on him at the moment. He was praying for them as, as they were falling asleep and turning their back on him. This is King Jesus who holds the world together by the word of his power. He always did what pleased the Father. He never did like what was right in his own eyes. He always did the will of God. He cried out for others in prayer. And the story makes of David makes for a great, great story, but there's an even better story, and it's the death of King Jesus who knows what it's like to wander in wilderness and be tempted, but not leave God in his will. It's this king who offers a perfect sacrifice of love, the king that even identifies with us in our weakness, in our wilderness, in our weariness the king who can absolutely save you today. I wonder, I I wonder if June 30th, 2019 might be the day where your wanderings from God come to an end. Could it be? I, I don't know. Could it be where the games are over, God has your attention, and he, and you turn and you You turn from everything else that you've been kind of counting on and you trust fully on him. You lean on him and he is your deliverer because David still needed a savior and only one person can save you even from yourself. And my question for you is, will you turn to him? Are you wandering? There's a father ready to receive you. Are you weary? Jesus would say, come to me, those who are weary and burdened down, I will give you rest. Will you turn to him today? Who could help you in that? Who could pray with you in that? Maybe it's a friend that brought you. Maybe it's a, well, one of the pastors here. We'd love to have that conversation. I would love to know that today was the day where wanderers found their way back to the Lord. Maybe more accurately, the Lord found the wanderers. Can I ask you to pray? Lord, I don't know hearts, and I don't know who you've assembled here today, but I do know there are times where our hearts wander. We feel it. So, Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would draw people to yourself, that whatever schemes, whatever things have been going on, they would come to an abrupt halt, and you would do a work of mercy and grace for the person that has believed the lie that you, you don't care or you're through with them. I pray they would know today that the cross forever says, you are a God of mercy and grace. We don't celebrate our own faithfulness, but we do celebrate yours. 
So I pray that you would draw us back, draw us all, even our hearts that are so prone to wander. I pray that you would draw us back to find life and hope in Christ. Do this so that his name is great. Do this so we would be witnesses of your mercy once again. In Christ's name we pray all this. Amen.